Greetings, listeners. Welcome to the 963 Universal Frequency. I'm your host, Esther Clare, spreading awareness with an open heart, an open mind, living life and being free. There are so many healing modalities in the world, and the one that I and you will be learning about is an ancient holistic practice designed to bring all systems in the body into balance for each individual's body mapping, which is called Ayurveda. And what I've come to understand in this ancient knowledge is that it improves the quality of life, meaning it can be applied to all aspects of life from our mental well-being, physical health and spirituality. And for those of you that don't believe in spirituality, perhaps you can look at it as unity with oneself. There are these energetic principles within us that control the physical activities of our body, including the mind. So these energies affect the nervous system and our personality. We are all born with an energetic signature. But as we develop and age, our energy is influenced by many stages of our lives as we grow from a, a young child into a teen, into adulthood, and then as an, an elderly person. And so not only do these stages affect our lives, but the external environments that we're in also impact us. And so we need to keep it in balance. And what I've come to understand is that this practice is actually advantageous to us. As human beings and that it is a preventative science and dr victor briere is great at explaining it in such a way he gives an overarching explanation obviously there's a lot more to this practice this ancient wisdom which we just don't have enough time for so he really has given us uh, the the fundamental principles and explanation to ayurveda uh, I hope this is a good introduction to anybody that has never heard of Ayurveda before. And hopefully if someone has heard about Ayurveda, maybe there are a few takeaways that you can learn from Dr. Victor Briere. So please enjoy the conversation. Joining me all the way in California is Victor Briere. Victor is an Ayurvedic doctor teacher and speaker. He is also the co-founder of the International Institute of Ayurveda. I'm really excited to hearing all about this ancient knowledge and practice. And I may have some listeners thinking, what on earth is she talking about now? Ayurveda, what is this? And for those of you that are not aware, we're going to be learning all about it. And so welcome, Victor. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Let's start with your journey to finding Ayurveda. So my journey into Ayurveda started, I think, all the way back when I was 18. I grew up in Los Angeles, and I grew up a quote-unquote normal uh, Los Angeles kid, I guess you could say. So, you know, I when I got sick, I went to a doctor or whatnot, all just the basic Western understanding of health and life. And when I was 18, I started developing a back problem that was very irritating. So I was in constant discomfort, but it wasn't that bad. So when I went to see allopathic doctors, they, you know, they, they said, oh, try this, try that, go to physical therapy. But basically, long story short, so we don't take up the whole podcast talking about my uh, personal health history. 
Um, long story short, it came down to, well, we don't really know. So you can either take painkillers or do surgery. And that wasn't really an option for me. I, I decided that that wasn't an option for me at, at the young age of at this point, 19. So I tried out a yoga class. I had never done yoga before in my life. And I liked it a lot. I liked the teacher a lot. So the teacher agreed to help me out. I said, can we schedule a one-on-one session and can, let's see if you can figure this out. So we did, and she did. And within about two weeks, um, pain I'd had for years was gone. So that was wonderful, right? I wish I could say that's everybody's story with yoga and Ayurveda. It's not, but it was my story. And what that did for me was it, it was like an aha moment for me or an epiphany where I realized, whoa, everything I taught, everything I was taught growing up is basically just a tiny portion of the story. There's a whole world out there with all this knowledge and wisdom that I literally had no idea about. So I said, that's pretty cool. I think I want to learn more about that. So I went traveling. I went to a lot of the Eastern countries, Thailand, Japan. Um, Funnily enough, on that first trip after college, I did not make it to India. And when I came back to the United States, I continued my yoga practice as a, I was a real estate agent at the time to make money. And uh, I met my yoga teacher in Los Angeles of all places. And he suggested that I look into Ayurveda. So once I did that, I was like, oh man, this is like a incredible healing system. I want to learn more about. And now I'm here 12 years later. Or something. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I love hearing about how people find their passion. And usually it's a situation or an event that can be perceived as something negative, but it's just a sign that perhaps we need to shift our perspective and you know, it helps us or well, it steers us into the right direction to where we should be. It's that uh, proverb, the obstacle is the path. And could you tell us what Ayurveda is? Sure. Ayurveda, the word Ayurveda means science of life or more strictly speaking, science of longevity. Um, and basically it's a science about how to live a long, healthy life. That's the goal of Ayurveda. And it's very, very old, thousands and thousands of years old. You know, the most current approximation is 5,000 years old, but everyone kind of knows it's older, um, or at least the roots of it are older. And it is holistic in nature, meaning that the whole person is assessed in order to determine what is going to be the best course of health. So that means that if someone has, let's say, a skin issue, then you're not just going to look at the skin. You're going to look at the whole body and not just the body, but the psychological constructs and the types of choices they're making and the type of lifestyle they're living and the type of people they're in relationship with and the type of people they're not in relationship with and so on and so forth. So it's very, very, very comprehensive. And who was it that established this holistic practice? What are the origins of Ayurveda? The history of Ayurveda is told in, I guess you could call it mythological terms, although um, I don't know if some everyone would say that, but basically there's a whole story of Ayurveda where it was given to the human race by deities or devatas in Sanskrit, which are you know divine entities that give knowledge or insight or inspiration. And it was 
given to humans as core insight into what makes someone healthy and what makes someone sick and all the rules that follow. So the humans that carried that torch, um, one of the first, there are many first ones, but one of the first ones was named Agnivesha. And then Charaka was one of Agnivesha's disciples and so on and so forth. And there are many, many, many famous Ayurvedic physicians. Um, and then if you really look into the history of Ayurveda, you also see that even before the written language, when most of it was practiced oral tradition, there were a lot of female Ayurvedic physicians that were running the show, especially in matriarchal cultures. Back in 2020, I had a Reiki healing session that was quite in-depth and I ended up getting a chakra report and it basically outlined all of my chakras and the imbalances, the, the five elements and the three doshas and you know, what imbalance I had. And so just for my further clarification, and for the people that are listening, could you elaborate as to what the three energies are and the five elements? So, yeah. So Ayurveda has a cosmology or uh, principles of the manifestation of the physical world, we can say. And they're very in-depth and they're uh, extensive. So I'll try to summarize them briefly. But basically, you can say that everything that we can experience in our physical world is made up of the five elements. And this is where I like to draw a distinction because if you go online and type in the five elements of Ayurveda, you might find a, uh, forgive, forgive me if I insult anybody, but a cheesy website with a little flame symbol, little water symbol, little air symbol, and a little earth symbol, and a little ether symbol. Those are the five elements. And, you know, they'll say that, you know, the five elements are fire, water, and that's not really what Ayurveda describes as the five elements. They're the five fundamental forces of basically physics. So you have Vayu, which is the principle of movement or the changes between pressure systems. You have Agni, which is the principle of the concentration of energy in a single point. You have Ether, which is the principle of space-time, basically. And you have Prithvi, which is the principles of structure and atomic form. And you have Jala, which is the principles of cohesion. Um, and so when these principles are put to use, you can help understand the doshas. Because doshas are basically, there are three of them. There's vata, pitta, and kapha. And those are all Sanskrit terms. Um, and so, for example, vata deals with how everything, that principle of movement, that fundamental force of nature, movement, Vata deals with how something moves intelligently inside of a biological structure. So us as human beings, we're biological beings, right? We have a biological body. And Vata, the dosha Vata, deals with the intelligence of how our body knows how to move things from one place to another. And it does that by changing the pressure systems in our body. So for example, our heart, when it contracts, pumps blood and that blood moves through our system. So the circulation pathways of blood is governed by the vata dosha, but by the same principles of nature, it also governs how nervous system impulses move through our system. So it gets very complicated very fast, 
but basically you're dealing with fundamental laws of nature as they are applied to a biological being. I feel as if consciousness is key to understanding and knowing the doshas and the elements for self. Would it be right to say that it's not about having an equal amount, as in we need to have a certain percentage of each of these energies, but rather uh, an equilibrium for our own unique individual self? Yeah, definitely. So, okay, so... Ayurveda, one of the main differences between Ayurveda and allopathic approach at this current time in our, um, in our history is that for a long time, allopathy has considered mental qualities or the phenomenon of consciousness, a quality that emerges based on certain physical arrangements, right? So we have a body and because it's wired up in a certain way and because molecules are interacting in a certain way and all that type of stuff, all of a sudden what we get is this thing called consciousness born out of that physical structure, right? But Ayurveda and many Eastern traditions, actually, I think almost all of them basically say the exact opposite. They say that actually, no, consciousness underlies all of existence and that because of the intention of consciousness, we have a physical body. So how that comes to be is a complex thing, but basically in a nutshell, it's that there is a uh, organized, intelligent, intentional force behind all creation. And it arranges the elements or those fundamental laws of physics or nature, right? Into specific arrangements of billions and trillions of types. And so what that means is that you and I, while we're both, well, we have a lot of similarities because we're both human. We're not exactly the same, right? We have a unique makeup. Otherwise, if we were exactly the same, we'd look exactly the same and talk exactly the same and all that stuff, right? So we have a unique makeup. So that's what's called prakruti in Ayurveda. And that's our unique constitution that's designed by consciousness. And, and or you could say the union of nature and consciousness, if you want to say it that way. But nature itself is also designed by consciousness. So we could just say designed by consciousness. And because of that prakruti, your state of balance or equilibrium is different than my state of balance or equilibrium. So when you apply that to medicine or Ayurveda, if I'm an Ayurvedic doctor looking at two people, I would not treat them the same way, even if they had similar symptoms or the same grievances, because their prakrutis are different. They have a different setup. And so I need to address that and honor that. And that's going to mean I do different things to manipulate their bodies, basically, right? With either herbs or lifestyle or food or whatever it is. What steps do you take to diagnose a person, especially when the person doesn't know what's going on? They may think that they are relatively healthy. Yeah, they eat well, they exercise, they meditate. I put my hand up to that. Yet I seem to have dermatitis, which is around the wrists and the palms of my hands, which flares up on occasion. And I've seen a dermatologist, one for years, and 
yeah, I've tried everything. There's no explanation as to what could be the problem that's triggering this. Yeah, I've tried all sorts of medication. There was even a medication that I took that was pretty harsh on my on other areas of my body, for example, or my my liver. So I'd have to get these blood tests done just to make sure that my liver was okay from this medication. And I just gave up on that because I just thought you know, this can't be good for me. Yeah. <laughs> and then food as well. So then I was put on a really strict diet, which deprived me from a social life. And that just it wasn't working either. You know, it was still flaring up here and there. So how do you find the root cause of a person's condition? Yeah, root cause is the key term there for sure. Ayurveda is very much about root cause. So like, okay, let's say you come into the clinic and you tell me that story, right? So we're going to spend at least an hour together in that one first session, which, you know, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but at least in the United States, the, I think the average appointment time with an allopathic doctor is six minutes now. Um, so, right. So we're going to talk for an hour. And during that hour, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you about your entire health history. I'm going to talk to you about your food habits, because a lot of times what we might think is healthy is based on a lot of cultural paradigms that aren't necessarily holistic or accurate, right? They're fads. They're based on profit motives. They're based on selling supplements. They're based on having tight abs. They're based on all that stuff, right? They're not based on holistic health for a particular individual at a particular time in their life. So your age matters, your weight matters, your gender matters, the uh, phase of um, what, what types of relationships matter. So we got to put an asterisk next to that one, all that stuff, your work, your occupation matters, everything, your sleep quality matters, mm -hmm. uh, the types of things, not just that you're drinking, but that you're uh, sorry that you're eating, but that you're drinking and not only what you're eating and drinking, but what you're breathing and not only what you're eating, drinking, and breathing, but what you're taking in through all your sense organs is considered food, quote unquote, in Ayurveda. So what you look at, what you listen to, what you smell, what you taste, and what you touch is all considered a form of nourishment. And so like, for example, you live in Perth, right? Big city. So the air quality right there, that's something that's going to be very different than someone who lives out in the country. But these days, you know, WHO just came out with a report saying that 99% of the world's air is now considered polluted. So it doesn't matter where you go at this point to a certain extent, right? There are some places that are worse than others, obviously, but that just gives you the idea mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we're, we got to take all this stuff into consideration, not just uh, do I have a keto diet or, you know, am I eating am I getting enough B12 or something like that? That's just a tiny sliver of the pie. Um, so we're going to talk about all that. And the reason I wanted to put an asterisk next to relationship is I don't just mean romantic relationship, although that's a very important one. I mean all relationships. So that is the most underestimated impact on our physical health that we have these days. I mean, basically, if someone asked me who's going to live longer and healthier, someone who has incredible relationships, but a terrible diet, 
versus someone who has a terrible diet, but in, um, sorry, versus someone who has a great diet, but terrible relationships, I'll put money on the person who has a great relationship and terrible diet. And that's not just a mind thing, right? We got to get out of this mm -hmm. idea that the mind and the body are not connected. They're completely connected through the nervous system. And the core connection is the vagus nerve or the autonomic nervous system. And our relationships and how we conduct our relationships have such a massive impact on our physiology that if you get in a fight with an intimate relationship that you have, and again, by intimate, I don't mean necessarily sexual. I just mean a close, someone you consider very close, right? If you get in a fight and you're all worked up inside, I don't care what you eat in the next two hours, three hours, next day, even it's not going to digest properly. So the status of our relationships, and that includes our relationship with ourself and work and our purpose and all that stuff supersedes the food, the water, the air, the perceptions, and even sleep. So we're going to talk about that too. And that's when things really get interesting in a consultation. So can dermatitis be caused by relational issues? Absolutely. I'm not saying that's the case for you. I'm just saying everyone's temptation is food, food, food. Why? Because it's something we can control easily. I can, I, can, I can easily go to the store and control how much B12 I take. It's much harder to get my partner or my child to um, stop causing trouble in relationship, right? So if I get sick and I'm afraid of confronting my relationships, first place I'm going to go is to the yes. supplement aisle. This makes so much sense. I'm, I'm so upset that I wasted all that money. <laughs> well, I mean, we, let's, let's not lie, right? Food is also extremely important. Let, like we, I don't want to try and underplay food. I'm just putting the emphasis on the relationship part because it's not as well spoken about in the health realm. So Ayurveda has what's called the three pillars of life. The three pillars of life are ahara. And in that pillar, ahara means nourishment. In that pillar is food, water, air, sense perceptions. Then there's nidra. And in that pillar is sleep practices. What time you go to bed, what time you wake up, how well you sleep, your circadian rhythm, all that stuff. And then the third branch is brahmacharya, which is how we utilize the energy that we have and our basic patterns of creation. And underneath that branch comes our daily activities, our purpose, and our relationships. With my experiences with GPs, do you call them GPs in America, general practitioners? Uh, we call, yeah, GP or PCP, primary care physician or whatever. Yeah, it, it just, with my experiences, I've just always found that GPs tend to scratch the surface. It's always a, a prescription straight away. And, you know, there's, there doesn't seem to be much informational research done on other elements that could be impacting my life. It's very brief, the consultation. Yeah, it's just, it just seems as if, is that the difference between Western medicine and Ayurveda, this holistic treatment? Well, I think that's a really interesting topic, actually, because when I first started Ayurveda, I was very like, oh my God, this allopathy thing, they don't help people and all that stuff. And, you know, over uh, the past decade plus, what I've come to learn is that I don't, I think there are a lot of great allopathic doctors, right? 
And they really do get into the field for the right reason. And they do great work. And I mean, come on, some of the advancements in allopathy are incredible surgical methods, things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. If I get, you know, if I break my leg, there's no place I'd rather go than a hospital. Right. right? Yeah, for sure. So we don't want to underplay that. What I've noticed is that I think that actually allopathy in its current form is created because most people do not want to do the hard work of healing themselves. And so what's left? If someone says, no, I'm not going to change my relationships. I'm not going to change my diet and I'm not going to change my sleep patterns. If someone says no to that, then Ayurveda is off the table, right? And basically it's not going to work. And so what's left, what's left is an antibiotic, a surgery and, you know, a steroid basically. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, while we can go to an allopathic doctor and say, oh, all they did was look at me for five minutes and decide whether it was surgery, antibiotic or steroid. Well, we also have to look at ourselves and say, yeah, but I'm the one who sat on the couch staying up till 1am watching Netflix and eating donuts for the past 20 years. That was my choice. Right. And because I don't want to change that now, what options do I have left an antibiotic, a steroid or a surgery? So uh, yeah, that that's kind of my opinion on that. I've kind of switched sides inside myself on that one. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Yeah. There's a time when, yeah. And even just now I had mentioned about GPs. Yeah. They feel like it's just the surface and how far do you have to keep going to see a GP before it gets really worse? Uh, but yeah, you know, I even had a surgery done on my eyes when I had detached retinas. I was like, so thankful that this yeah. we have these skilled <laughs> surgeons. I that was an emergency procedure almost. Yeah, and I, I looked at what they actually do after I had the treatment. I just thought to myself, wow, I it's incredible. So yeah, no, I I don't I didn't mean that in a way of of dissing anyone in in the field I do know people in the field and uh yeah no so I just wanted to have that understanding as to if there was a difference between western and because I think people kind of call this pseudoscience don't they that Ayurveda has had that term to it because it means is doesn't mean science of life Ayurveda the word means science of life yeah yeah and so pseudoscience I think that it's also been labeled that I don't know how true that is, but. Um, well, it's not true. Right. I mean, Ayurveda is the oldest healthcare system in the world that's still practiced today. And that's not, there's, that's not like, you know, arbitrary. Um, I think that's just basically a derogatory, ignorant thing to say um, by people who haven't really taken the time to really understand it. They just don't see double blind studies and therefore it's pseudoscience. you know, I don't usually entertain that kind of insult. Absolutely. Yeah. Chronic disease. How does that evolve? So like, okay, let's take what you just offered up where you had to get a procedure for a detached retina or two detached retinas, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the allopathic doctors do their job and they do it really well. And that's great. But now what do you do? And so uh, if you went to an Ayurvedic physician, they would say, well, let's talk about this because there's a reason that those retinas detached. And we want to know every part of the process so that we can correct every part of the imbalance. So that's what the study of an Ayurvedic doctor is going to look like. 
They're going to, and it may have come from a combination of childhood habits, childhood traumas, dietary habits, uh, lifestyle habits. It's going to come from like a confluence of 15 things. And so an Ayurvedic doctor has to slog through your history and try and understand what's called an Ayurveda, the samprapti or the pathology of the disease. And especially when it's chronic in nature, you can typically see the pattern, right? How it played out in the person's life, especially, I mean, that's what you're trained to do as an Ayurvedic practitioner is to see with those kind of eyes, right? So you, you might sit there and be like, I have no clue. But then it's like, well, that's why you go to an Ayurvedic practitioner that they've seen this pattern time and time again, and they do have a clue as to what might have caused that. So they'll go through all that. And then what they'll say is, okay, we're going to put you on a protocol or a regimen and to prevent this from ever happening again or progressing, right? So that's the idea behind Ayurveda and understanding chronic disease. Understand every phase of how that disease came to be. Uh, I'm just thinking of the word disease. You take out the dis and you got ease. So it really is your body's not at ease, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's not at ease. And it, the doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha, which are functional things, they control functions in our body. They're hit, going haywire. Mm. So they don't, the body doesn't function properly. And then that ultimately destroys the tissues of the body. And then once the tissue is destroyed or deranged or warped, then you have a disease and it's our job to reverse that Okay. as best as we can to the extent that we can. Why is it, do you believe that we as a human race, as we are evolving and becoming more advanced technology and other areas of you know, the future, why is it that we're all still getting sick and suffering from some sort of illness, whether it's mental or physical because we don't follow, we think that technology is going to save our butts and it won't. Um, at best, it's emergency medicine. And Ayurveda would say, well, why did the emergency happen, right? Let's stop the emergency before it's an emergency. We don't want it to ever become an emergency. So you see this reflected in the micro and the macro over and over, at least in the United States. I don't know about Australia, but the number one disease right now is depression. So we can't ignore that, right? We got to look, it's like, well, everyone's isolated, everyone's lonely. And according to Ayurveda, the root disease, the root disease of all diseases ever is the perception of separation, specifically from spirit. But you see that reflected in the human relationships now. And so that's the root of all disease. And I'm sorry, but no machine's going to cure that. Machines only make that worse, actually. And so in the attempt to, you know, be a little bit better at performing some surgery, we actually sacrifice the core essence of health, which is ironic. Um, but that's what is happening. And people need to stop pretending that technology is going to save us and get back. You, you can't just throw out the basics and the foundational wisdom just because some fancy new toy is available. That's not going to work. And it never has, and it never will. So I would say that's why everyone's sick. We, we think that our modern structures are going to save us and they're not. Do you prescribe medication in Ayurveda treatments? No. Um, yeah. So 
Ayurveda in the United States is not licensed as a medical practice. However, in India it is. So an Indian Ayurvedic doctor can prescribe medication. But in the United States, we suggest supplements. <laughs> and those supplements are herbal, typically herbal remedies as part of our yeah, protocol. So in India, the medication they prescribe is yeah. this holistic specific to Ayurveda or pharmaceutical? Oh, I mean, there are textbooks and textbooks of all the different kinds of Ayurvedic medications, but to kind of familiarize the listeners with the major ones. So you have a lot of herbal oils is one, right? So, and uh, medicinal oils. Two is herbal formulas. So either coming in the form of powders or fresh plants. Um, and when I say herbs, I don't just mean the leaf of a plant. It could be the roots. It could be the stem. It could be the flower. It could be the leaf, right? There's all these different ways of preparing it. You can prepare it in clarified butter. You can prepare it in honey. You can prepare it in, it, you know, like I said, textbooks and textbooks. Um, there are herbal, herbal mineral compounds, meaning special preparations of certain precious metals with herbs that have specific and typically very intense effects. So there's like a quote unquote Ayurvedic antibiotic equivalent or Ayurvedic um, steroid equivalent, right? And those are usually done with herbal mineral compounds. So they'll use gold, silver, iron, all those things, but don't just think you're sitting there eating gold and silver and iron. They're purified hundreds, sometimes thousands of times in special methods over months to make it digestible. So, I mean, the pharmacopoeia of Ayurveda is massive. It's huge. And it can be very targeted or very general. I just want to add that. Sorry. From your experience, yeah. have you had a patient that has not improved or recovered? Oh, yeah. Of course. You know, Ayurveda definitely does not classify every disease as curable. There are incurable diseases. Um, so Ayurveda doesn't ever claim to be, you know, follow Ayurveda and you'll be free from every disease ever. That's not the idea, right? Um, although everyone I'm sure would like to hear that and have it be true. That's not the reality. So there are kind of three classifications, general classifications of disease in Ayurveda. Those that are curable, those that are not curable, but can be made completely better. So you kind of go into remission, right? So for example, like uh, take someone with a chronic case of eczema. Let's, in, let's just pretend it's the second category. So you can, you can keep that person breakout free for the vast majority of their life, but you can never really get rid of the core potential for that breakout, right? And then there are diseases that are straight up incurable. And those, you know, there are specific reasons and explanations for why a disease might become incurable. And I don't think we have enough time to talk about those here, but let's put it this way. Most diseases you can make better, if not completely reverse. And so, yeah, I see people all the time who either they're not willing to follow the protocols or they have a disease that's progressed to the point where there's nothing you can do, except maybe make them feel a little bit more comfortable. Because we are all unique in our body mapping, would it be a good idea to see an Ayurvedic doctor, even though we may not be showing signs of physical or mental illness, but perhaps at a young age, see a doctor, an Ayurvedic doctor, to prevent an illness from developing? 
Yeah, that would be the ideal reason to like, we love that when someone comes in and says, I'm not sick and I don't want to get sick. So what should I do? Those are the best. That's the best time to go to an Ayurvedic doctor is when you're not sick. (laughs) Well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Is yoga essential to the Ayurvedic practice? Is it a must? Yes, it's a must. It's a sister science. Yoga and Ayurveda develop together. And so yoga, you know, I think it's a little bit important to touch on yoga here. So at least in the United States, again, I don't know about Australia right now, but in the United States, you know, yoga is considered like exercise class, which is, you know, for lack of a better word, wrong. That's not what yoga is. Um, yoga is a spiritual practice about yoga, meaning union. Yoga means union. And specifically with yoga in a spiritual practice, it's union with the divine or union with the ultimate truth of one's identity, which is a big deal. And so uh, yogis would take on students and a lot of yoga practices would demand good health. And so they would send their students to Ayurvedic doctors who would ensure, try to ensure good health so that they can pursue their yogic practices. And so that was the relationship between yoga and Ayurveda. And a lot of Ayurveda is about resolving the core disease, which is the perception of separation from the true self, which is yoga. So they're like considered part of the same, whatever you want to call it, same Uh, family. Is there a particular yoga that one should be following? For example, Kundalini? I practice, I practice Kundalini, but I think that's a very personal decision. And I think that depends a lot on the kind of teacher that one finds. So if it's, if you find someone who's real, if you're going to take spirituality seriously, and you find someone who's willing to teach you spirituality, then it's, I, I personally think it's more important that that relationship is forged and whatever comes out of that relationship is what comes out of that relationship. Uh, In my personal experience, the only reason that I practiced Kundalini specifically was because I met the person who was my teacher and that's what he practiced. So I practiced what he practiced because, but I was more interested in the teacher student relationship. I get the same impression that many people here where I live anyway, I, I do yin yoga flow classes and it is just a form of exercise. I, yeah, I do meditate, but it's it's not integrated with yoga. It's so the classes that I go to, it's just to get your body moving. And even though you feel great during and afterwards, you don't learn much at all about the teaching or the practice. And obviously there isn't enough time and your instructor is just an instructor, not a teacher. And you know, so you really do need to find a school to understand and get the, the full yeah. benefits, the yeah. spiritual side of yoga. And yeah, it's it's common to go to the coffee shop after after a yoga class. And we don't talk about the spiritual side. It's just about how good the class was and when the next one is. And so you really don't get the full benefits from just going to a recreational class. Which brings me to the International Institute of Ayurveda, which you are the co-founder of. What is the organization and how did it all come about? So I originally had an Ayurvedic clinic called Pacific Coast Ayurveda. 
because I'm on the Pacific coast. Um, and we, you know, it was basically an Ayurveda clinic, but from the day I started Ayurveda, I knew that one day I wanted to teach Ayurveda. So I just needed, I needed all the experience in the clinical realities so that I could be a good teacher. So, um, once that clinic closed, um, decided to start the International Institute of Ayurveda with uh, Joe Rich, who's my Kundalini yoga teacher. And he's the one who introduced me to Ayurveda to begin with. And um, that's when we launched the school. And we actually have our first year of Ayurvedic practitioners training now. We started in January. So it's a pretty recent thing. Um, so very exciting for me and definitely the culmination of a lot of years of work and education. Um, and so that's what the Institute's focused on. It's still a clinic for sure, but now it's like a teaching clinic. I don't know what, what you call it, but something like that. And, um, yeah, it's really focused on training the next wave of Ayurvedic professionals. Fantastic. Are you the only organization in America? Oh, no, there are, I, I wouldn't say there are many, but there are definitely a handful. Yeah. There, there are multiple Ayurvedic schools throughout the United States. What is a valuable piece of information that you can give us? Valuable piece of information I can provide people is if, if you're interested in a long and healthy life, because that's how Ayurveda starts out. It's not a moral, moral mandate, right? It's not a good or evil thing. It's just a, Hey, if you're interested in a long and healthy life, then I would say, you know, take a, take a minute after listening to this and just consider it's like, you know, what, what have I bought into over the years about how health really works? And maybe just take a minute and say, and ask yourself the question, is that really how it all works? And if that launches you on a journey of healing, then this podcast was well worth it. Everything you have shared is valuable, but is there one single thing, one piece of advice that you can provide to give people that assistance, that help to to support them in, in daily health. Yeah. You know, it's hard to get, yeah, it's hard to give universal advice because Ayurveda is so tailored, but there are some universal rules. Um, and so I get asked this question a lot. It's like, you know, what's the one thing I could do. And so, you know, after like looking at a lot of people's lives and, and getting that question over and over and over what I've at least today, what I've come to believe is that if people would eat a light dinner plant-based at six o'clock or earlier and eat nothing after that and then go to sleep at a reasonable time, like 10. That is like one of the biggest single things you can do to preserve your health in the long run. For sure. And there are a lot of reasons for that, which we don't have time to get into, but if like, if I, if I could push a button and make everyone in the world do one thing, well, if I could push a button to make everyone in the world do one thing, it would be stop eating all meat, but that's not going to happen. So the <laughs> second thing is eat a plant-based dinner. And that's not because it's trying to save the cow. It's because the plant-based dinner is much easier to digest than a steak or chicken or fish or whatever. Right. So an easily digestible dinner at 6 PM is better than an apple a day. And do you also provide online consultations? Sure. I do online consultations all the time, especially I, I didn't used to do many. And once COVID hit, man, it just went crazy with online <laughs> consultations. So now I'm used to it. 
So something good came out of the the COVID experience. <laughs> I do think that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. Was... But yes, it did open up the world to that whole thing. It did. I think people are waking yeah. up a lot more to going to doing the holistic approach, slowly progressing, but I definitely think it's getting there. But I would like to thank you very much for your time, Victor. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And I trust this episode will reach far and wide to many people. I'll leave your link in the episode description and those who are intrigued can just click on the link and do their own research. And yeah, Ayurveda. Absolutely. Thank you, Victor. Thank you for all your hard work and what you're doing for the world and all the best in your passion. You too. Thanks, Esther. That ends the conversation with Dr. Victor Briere, and I got quite a few takeaways from that episode. The ability to assimilate nutrients is so important to the core of our well-being. Mind, body, and spirit, you know, that, that term, those words are thrown about a lot. A lot of people say it and they can mean it, but, you know, there's so many intricate elements and... Um, you know, essential principles that go behind that as well. And so it's it's great to have someone that specializes in that field and can assist people in understanding their mind, body and spirit. Not everybody can be a vegan. Not everybody can consume dairy products. And the same applies for exercise as well. I suppose not everybody can go jogging not everybody can do interval training it's not suitable for their body type and so that's why it's so important not to criticize somebody for their belief or you know the type of diet that they follow and i suppose number one for me would be discipline that was a big takeaway for me because you know i can say I feel disciplined in the routine that I currently have but then there's other areas that I'm just not disciplined in so you know if you were to see an Ayurvedic doctor there you really would need to follow every piece of advice that they give you so they can get to the root cause you know there's no bullshitting there's you have to be completely honest and upfront look into Ayurveda as an alternative Get the problem before it turns into an illness. And remember, everybody, have an open heart, have an open mind, live your life and be free. Thanks for tuning in.